I said great singing this morning, right? Amen. Are you here this morning? Are you alive? God's been good. I mean, He doesn't hold our sins to us. He's, uh, we're not under condemnation anymore. We've passed from death to life. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, amen, you got something to shout about tonight, this morning, whatever it is. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open up to Luke 13. We're finishing the chapter of Luke 13, and we're just halfway through the book of Luke. Man, what a powerful book this has been. What uh, instructions we have received uh, from Luke as he writes to Theophilus saying, Jesus is who he says he is. The narrow door is what we're going to be talking about this morning. The narrow door, uh, you'll see it referenced as the straight gate, but that is simply a reference to a narrow door or a narrow gate. In chapter 13, Verse number 22, I want you to make special note of what's going on in 22. You see, and he went through the cities and villages teaching, and everybody read that with me, and journeying toward Jerusalem. Now that's important, because what's waiting for him at Jerusalem? The cross. And so Jesus, listen, this is the last six months of his life. Once we hit chapter 9, we're looking at the last six months of Jesus' life. And he's making his way towards Jerusalem. That's an important key to understanding the rest of this passage, what's going on. He went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, now listen to what he says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray whatever is going on in our minds right now, we would have... Just the Holy Spirit's help to focus on the message today. Lord, I pray that in our own lives, if there's never been a day where we've not trusted you as our Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. Thank you, God, for making that way possible for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today, if someone's running from you, if they're not living the life you want them to live, God, that you would bring them back to you today. And Lord, they would... Just uh, repent and turn unto you. And Lord, you promise that if we ask, you will forgive. And God, I just pray that you would speak to hearts, wherever our hearts are at today, whatever they're going through, may this message be of help to them. In your name we pray, amen. Now, Jesus has been addressing people, and he's been saying, hey, people just don't have problems because they're a great sinner. Remember the Galileans? Uh, Pilate mixed their, and mingled their blood with the sacrifices. And some people come to them, or Jesus said, hey, you, you suppose that the Galileans were greater sinners than those who, who did not die? And Jesus says, that's not the truth. What about the 18 where the tower fell on? Just because bad things happen to you doesn't mean that you are committing a great sin, but sins can cause things to happen to your life. Sins can cause things to happen to you. And so Jesus is teaching them, and he's telling them also, listen, you need to be bearing fruit. Don't just say, I'm a Christian. 
Don't be a Christian in name only. Be a Christian who represents Christ. So yesterday, I was out. Me and my wife went away yesterday uh, in the afternoon. And so I went there, and I saw two forms of, of Christians yesterday, supposed Christians. Here, there was one guy with a sign, and the sign says uh, something about, I don't know, what, what did it say? Something about God, God's not, not loving or something. Anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't a very, Satan is running the church and running the world. That's what the sign says. And big, bold letters, and then there was, an, there was another lady handing out some kind of pamphlet. I didn't take the pamphlet, but she was handing out. And as I was passing by, she said this words, God doesn't love everyone. I wanted to turn around and just slap her in Jesus' name. I honestly wanted to do that. I promise you. I was like, what in the world? My Bible says God so loved the world, everyone, that he gave his only begotten son. And then you walk a few uh, yards later, and there's a guy that's got a picture. He's just got a picture, and he's singing the songs with a guitar. And it says, what I used to look like and what I look like today. And it was just two representations of Christ. One... I got to hear people talking about this other group that was out there holding up the signs, saying all these things about God, and they were not representing Christ well. Matter of fact, people said, I don't go to church because of people like that. I don't go to church because they're, they, they're condemning everybody. And listen, it's not our job to condemn. We're just simply to have fruit that we've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I love that man's testimony uh, I was going to go and talk to him, but that other crowd decided to go talk to him, and they were having some kind of debate there going on, and I didn't want to get in the middle of their debate. But I just wanted to hear his testimony, what God brought him from. It looked like that it, maybe God brought him from a life of drugs, and now he, he's standing under a tent giving glory to God. That speaks more volumes than screaming, God hates everything about everything. That, that doesn't help anything. And so in, in our life, we've got to have fruit. People ought to look at us and say, something's different about you. Something's, I want what you've got. I want what you've got. I mean, we ought to be a testimony out there. He, he showed us also, Jesus showed us that, uh, man, for religious people, it's not about keeping some religious traditions. Traditions will not get you to heaven. They have nothing to do with heaven. It's Jesus Christ that gets you to heaven. Traditions are what man has put into the church. Traditions, though, will not prohibit the growth of the kingdom of God. It's going to grow like that leaven. It's going to grow like that mustard seed. It's going to flourish. All the millions and millions of people who are on their way to heaven today through the thousands of years that before, since Jesus was on the earth and before that we're going to see in heaven, uh, God's kingdom is growing. God's kingdom is growing. But he, he tells us, and I think something's going on in this passage because you see a, a question asked, and I think God's kingdom is starting to dwindle here on earth because everybody's facing persecution, and they're seeing Jesus get in trouble for a lot of things. Jesus being criticized for a lot of things he's doing. So we end the chapter, this thir chapter 13, looking at some very serious verses. There's some things we can gather from these verses. Many will claim to know Christ... But there's not going to be many that are with Christ. There's going to be many who say, I know Christ. But in our text, you're going to see, I don't know who you are. And you'll also see that uh, Christ 
has not promised an easy life for those who follow Christ. It's going to be tough, right? Amen? Everybody agree with that? Life's going to be tough. Even if you have Jesus Christ, life is difficult. So I, I, I submit to you, first of all, this morning, in verse 22 through 24, a serious command given. Let's look at verse 22 through 24 again. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And then said one to him, Lord, are there few that be saved? Oh, man, something's going on with Jesus. A lot of people are going away from him. And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. He tells this person to strive to enter at the straight gate. The word straight simply means a narrow gate. We're going to look at this gate just a little bit. But I want us to look at the word strive because I think we can get hung up on that word strive. We could, we could come across and, and maybe uh, take this verse out of context where we're having to strive to get into the kingdom of God. Works has nothing to do with our salvation. It's Jesus only plus nothing else. Jesus only and plus nothing else. If Jesus was saying, work your way into the kingdom, he would contradict other passages of Scripture, and Jesus does not contradict himself. So what is the Greek word here? The Greek word for strive is the word agonizomo, agonizomai, agonizomai, and it's where we get our English word. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Agony. We get our we get our English word from the Greek word agonizomai, and it means to strive. It means to fight, to exert oneself, to labor. It implies a great exertion against, against great difficulty and suggests persistent effort. What I believe Jesus is telling us is that the narrow gate is a tough gate. It's a, it's a, it's a gate that you're going to walk through, and you're going to have to fight every day of your life. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Rulers of darkness, we wrestle not against each other. You're not my enemy. The devil is my enemy. Amen? We wrestle every single day. You ever get up and feel like the devil's just, man, he's, he's working overtime on your life today? He, man, he hits you and hits you and hits you, and you're like, okay, enough. We're fighting against the devil. I want to give you a, a vivid illustration of what it means to to agonize me, agonize me. Think of this this illustration. I didn't know this about Greek boxers, and uh, it just gives me more reasons not to go box. I have no desire to be a boxer in my life, an MMA fighter. I don't want cauliflower ears. My ears are big enough already. I don't need cauliflower up there. For y'all don't know me, that the cartilage swells in there, and you can definitely tell when somebody's been beaten up. But here's what happened in the Greeks: the gloves of a Greek boxer were lined with fur on the inside. That sounds nice, right? Ooh, nice and toasty. They were lined with fur on the inside. The outside of the glove was oxide and usually had iron or lead sewed on the outside. Now, how many of you going to sign up for the boxing match today? I mean, that's, you, you got lead in yours, he's got lead, in, and y'all just wailing each other. I mean, just going to town, not to mention oxide. But here's what happened afterwards. The loser of the boxing match would have their eyes gouged out because they lost. So can you imagine what these two fighters are going to be doing? Agonizomai, right? 
they're going to be putting everything they can into winning that battle. Right. Why? Because they want to see. They like their eyes. And so here, exertion is given. Great difficult situations. And it's persistent effort. And they fight and they fight and they fight. Man, you can imagine how much effort a contest could motivate. Man, listen, your eyes are going to be gouged out if you lose. How many of you are going to be fighting a little bit harder? I guarantee you, we're going to be fighting a little bit harder, right? I mean, we're going, to be, we're going to be trying to muster up everything we can. Even if we ain't got another breath, we're going to be swinging. We're going to be swinging hard, and we're going to be trying to win that battle because we love our eyes. That's an intense picture of the word agonizomai. It's an intense battle. Jesus is not saying if you strive hard enough, if you work hard enough, you'll get into the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that the narrow gate is a tough gate, and it is one filled with battles. And many people, they just want Jesus for what Jesus can give them in that moment. And when difficult times come, they run from Jesus. And that's what you see going on in our text. Are there, are there many that saved? Are there few that be saved? Jesus is telling us that following Him would be an intense battle. This word is used to point out that striving will be a continual striving. I got good news for you today. The battle's not going to end. You say, that's terrible news, right? That is terrible news. The battle's going to end one day when we see Jesus Christ. Then all of our troubles in life will all be over and we'll be with our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Following Christ is the hardest thing you will ever do. We make it, man, it's so easy. It is easy to get saved. It is easy uh, to accept what Jesus has given to you. But man, that life is hard. And for those who think, man, life with Jesus, my life's going to get so much better. Not so. Why is it we think we, being followers of Jesus Christ will be so easy? The devil is constantly attacking us. It's a constant battle. It's not done in a day. It's a lifetime of battles, a lifetime of difficulties. But the end is so much better. The end is so much better. There's going to be difficult days. If you're on the narrow gate, in the narrow gate, on the narrow path, just remember, just remember this, life is going to be a struggle. You need to understand that. Many don't want that kind of relationship. Jesus said, strive to enter at the straight gate or the narrow gate or the narrow door. And this word carries the idea of constraining. Now, I want you to see what that means because I can, I can visualize it in my brain. But I want Brother Jim and Brother Kevin to come up here. And they're going to they're gonna stand right here, and they're going to form a door for me. And I'm going to put on my worldly stuff, okay? This is, this, in this bag, I got all kinds of books. It's a pretty heavy bag. I would say pretty heavy, maybe, maybe 15, 20 pounds. Not like heavy, heavy. But this, this represents everything in life that I want to I bring with me when I get saved in Jesus Christ. And then I got a table up here, too, because it's just like carrying around big stuff. Anybody ever had a handful of groceries and you're trying to get through a small door? Anybody? Or I'm the only one that's ever done that. I mean, you're trying to get through a small door. Y'all going to have to form a smaller door than that. Come over here where they can see y'all. Right there. There you go. Just don't let me fall off the thing. All right. So form, form a, I mean, yeah. Hold on. Okay, that'd be good right there. Now, y'all be, the, be the wall. I picked them for obvious reasons. 
Uh, so in life, in life, here's what we do. We think, we think we can come to Christ and we can, we can have all the things that the world has to offer. And here's what we try to do with Christ, all right? All right, y'all, don't hurt me. All right, so here, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get in, working my way with everything that I've got. All right, y'all can still be a door here. Still be a door. All right, but I can't, the, the door doesn't push against me. Just the, I can't get in here because why? Because uh, I, I got too much stuff. So you know what the Bible's, when, when we see the narrow gate, you know what it's saying? You're going to have to lay aside some things. You're going to have to put aside some things, all right, to get through the gate, all right? And it's still, still pretty tight, right? Now, I'm in the narrow gate. Life is easy, right? No, absolutely not. It's going to be a life of battles and struggles. But what we need to understand is this. So many times we try to get through Christ, and we want to carry the cross, and we want to carry the world in the same thing. But the narrow gate's a constraining gate. It takes things off of you. Thank you, guys. Y'all are, y'all are more than uh, gracious for doing that. Uh, it, 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 where's, it removes things from our life. I got another picture. You know, I, I, in, in, my, in my life, it's my goal to park as close to my house as I can. And sometimes I forget my wife has to get into the door. See, I share a driveway with somebody, and I don't want my car to be in their way. So my goal in life is to get as close to the house as I possibly can without hitting the house or the gas meter, because that would be bad. So I get as close to the house as I can, and then we take, we take the SUV, and I don't get the garage. My wife gets the garage, and my son gets the other side of it, even though he's not there no more. Uh, he gets the other side there. And I, I park there, and then we, we go to take my car, and it's, you know, it's not comical, but it is. But you, you see Jess, she's over there, and she's like, open the door, and the door's like that small. I said, do I need to pull up some? She said, no, I got it. I said, Jess, you can't get in. Do I need to pull up some? She tried to get in. She'll squeeze in, and I, I finally have to, she, she sometimes is able to do it because I didn't get too close to the door. Other times I have to pull forward. Why? Because it was constraining it was a narrow way. And so in life, we think, oh, I can come to Christ and carry everything in the world with me. But what the narrow gate suggests is that when you go through the gate, it removes things from your life. So for me to get through the gate, I had to, I had to put down things in this world. I had to put it down so that I could fit through the gate. Listen, you cannot hold on to the world and carry the cross at the same time. You cannot do it. And a lot of people think, well, I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I do good things. That's not what the strive means. You can come to church and do all the good deeds, but has there been a change in your life? The Bible says that we are new creatures when we come to Christ. Following Christ will cost you something. It will mean you lay aside your former life. You put aside the flesh. It means, hey, you're going to battle, and you're going to battle the the rest of your life. You're going to battle the flesh. You're going to battle worldly desires. And, man, if there's one thing I've realized, just being alive, Satan does not stop. Amen? He doesn't stop. I mean, we shouldn't give up. We shouldn't go away. He is as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. 
F.B. Meyer said that the door was so narrow that there is no room to carry through it the love of self, the greed of gain, the thirst for applause and rewards of the world. We must strive every day to put the world aside because the, the straight and narrow gate is a gate that constrains and it makes you take things off. If you can live in the world and live like the world and nothing is being constrained, something's wrong because you can't do both at the same time. You cannot live for the world and live for Christ at the same time. In the words of Rock of Ages, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. That's what salvation is. It's not striving hard to get in the gate. It's when you're in the gate, it's going to be a battle. Friend, today, today, do not put off until tomorrow what you must do today. Do not put off until tomorrow what must be done today. Tomorrow may be too late. When I got that phone call of my friend in Chattanooga, you, you see the post on Facebook and you see people comment, he was just at my church on Wednesday. He was just here on Wednesday night and then Thursday his life was gone. His cousin here on Saturday going in for a surgery, gone. We have no promise that tomorrow is going to be given to us. So don't put off until tomorrow what you must do today. There is a simple or serious concern or ser serious command. Number two, there's a serious concern. The concern is simple. Notice what happens. In the latter part of verse 24, I say unto you, for many I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. He shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Listen to what they say. We have eaten and drunk in thy presence. And thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves are thrust out, this was a dagger to the Jewish people's heart. Because they believed, because they were a seed of Abraham, that they had a guaranteed spot into heaven. And that's not what it's saying. Oh, Lord, we've had a meal with you. We've drunk in your presence. You've taught in our streets. We have uh, an awareness of who you are. We know about you, Jesus. And he said, I don't know who you are. There's a lot of people. They have a knowledge about who Jesus is. But one day, Jesus is going to say, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. A biblical illustration of this is found in Genesis 7, 16. Noah come into the ark, and who shut the door? God shut the door. And then the rain started coming. And then they started beating on the ark. Noah, help us, Noah. Noah said, I can't do anything. The door's already been shut. There's coming a day when it's going to be too late. And when you don't have that opportunity anymore, you won't have that chance anymore to get things right with Jesus Christ. 
Right now, there is time. Right now, you are alive. Right now, you are breathing. And that means that God's not willing that any should perish. You have time to get things right with Jesus Christ. Today, the door is open. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait until it's too late. The mindset is this. I know about Jesus, and that's good enough for me. It's not. See, it's not about a knowledge of Jesus and who Jesus is. It's a decision that you and I make when drawn by the Holy Spirit that we accept the free gift that Jesus has given us. A a decision that says, I will follow Christ no matter what constrains me. I will follow Christ. I will be in the battle. John Phillips tells of a neighbor he used to have. He attended an evangelistic crusade in town. The message is loud and clear. You must be born again. One night, John asked his neighbor, what did you think of this? The man responded, a little of that goes a long way with me. And then here's what he says. Besides, my wife is a descendant of John Wesley. Just because my wife is a descendant of somebody who was thought to be spiritual there, I'm good. Just because my dad was in the ministry, I'm good. No. Just because my parents went to church, I'm good. No. Listen, your salvation is between you and God. There's a saying that's as true today as it's ever been. People will miss heaven by the span of of 18 inches. You know what I mean by that? It's the distance between your brain and your heart. A lot of people have it up here. A lot of people can quote the verses, say the right things, do the right things, be the right person, but they don't have it in their heart. Many people know of Jesus, but they do not know who know Jesus personally. Do you know him today? Have you made a personal decision to follow him? If the answer is no, would you just follow him today? The Holy Spirit's convicting your heart. He's knocking on your door right now saying, that's you, that's you, that's you. Don't walk out of here. Get things right today. That's you. Hey, I'm talking to you, the Holy Spirit. You can feel him there in your heart. He's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking. Don't say no. Don't say no. Listen, when you have Jesus Christ, there's still going to be difficulty, but I, I guarantee you this. We've got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Man, they, they thought, oh, we were from the seed of Abraham. Everything is good. Notice what he says in verse 29. And they shall come out from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south, shall sit down in the kingdom of God. You know what this is? You know what Jesus is telling the Jewish people right here? The Gentiles will get it. You will reject it. They're going to come from everywhere, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and they're going to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Charles Spurgeon tells the following story. He says, some years ago I was awakened about 3 o'clock in the morning by a sharp ring at the doorbell. I was urged, uh, I was urged without delay to visit a house not very far from London Bridge. I went up in two pairs of stairs and shone into a room, the occupants of which were a nurse and a dying man. There was nobody else. The nurse says, oh, sir, Mr. So-and-so about a half an hour ago begged for me to send for you. What does he want? Charles asked. He's dying, sir, she replied. I said, I see that. What sort of man was he? He came home last night, sir, from Brighton. He had been out all day. 
I looked for a Bible, sir, but there was not one in the house. I hope you have one with you. Oh, I said, I've got a Bible, but it'd be no use to him now. If he could understand me, I could tell him the words of the Holy Scripture. I spoke to him, but he gave me no answer. I spoke again, still there was no reply. All sense had fled. I stood a few minutes gazing at his face till I perceived he was dead. His soul had departed. That man in his lifetime had been wont to jeer at me in strong language. He had often denounced me as a hypocrite. Yet he was no sooner smitten with the darts of death than he sought my presence and my counsel. Feeling no doubt in his heart that I was a servant of God, though he did not care to own it with his lips, there I stood, unable to help him, because he died before he could get it right. Friend, don't wait until you get on your deathbed to call the pastor and say, I need to get things right, because it may be too late. It may be too late. Jesus loves you so much that he died on that cross for you. Jesus tells them an interesting thing here. He said, the first shall be last. He said, there, there are the last uh, which shall be the first, and there are the first which shall be last. I used to love this verse in the fact that my last name is Y. And everything that in school that I got, that when they called names, it was always my name that got called last. And I just kept telling myself, the last shall be first. And that has no inkling to the context at all. I butchered that context. The context is this. Who was God's first chosen people? The Jews. So he looks at these Jews who are now criticizing what Jesus is doing, and they're trying to uh, really get him killed. He looks at them and says, The first shall be last. And those that you didn't think could make it, they're going to be first. He looks at them and says, the Gentiles are going to be, and they're going to come from the east, the south, the north, everywhere they're going to come from. The Jews will be surprised when they stand before God and they're cast out. As they're able to look up and to see Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, and they can say, I'm a seed of Abraham. But yet they were thrust out of the kingdom of God. Don't base it on something that you do or don't do. Base your salvation on what Jesus has done and your, your willingness to accept it. The Bible says if you call upon the name of Jesus, you will be saved. That's what it says. When the Holy Spirit calls you, you've got to answer and say, okay, God, I will go through the gate. But you know what that means? You've got to put down the world. You can't have the world and have Christ at the same time. It doesn't go. If there's not been a change in your life, if you're still holding on to the world, now I realize we're all going to battle the flesh every day. We've got to get rid of the world. Some people are going to be surprised when they, get to, when they stand before God and God looks at them and says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Oh, oh God, I, I did all kinds of things for you and your name. God, remember, I used to work in the church and I volunteered in every area, God. I did all these things. I was faithful to church, God. Don't you remember that? He'll say, I don't know who you are. And then he'll cast you into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's still time today. There, there's still time. There's a serious command, a serious concern 
And lastly, there's a steadfast confidence. I want you to know what they're trying to do to Jesus here. They're using a scare tactic. And they're trying to get Jesus to stop doing what he's doing. Verse 31, the same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get thee out and depart from hence, for Herod will kill thee. Herod will kill thee. And I love what Jesus says. Go you and tell that fox. Underline, I mean, that's a great phrase in the Bible. Jesus says, go tell that crafty person something. Here's what Jesus tells him. He says, behold, I cast out devils. I do cures today, tomorrow, and the third day, and I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk day to day. I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. In verse 34, Jesus laments over the city of Jerusalem, where it's been, what, what, it's, what it's become now. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. Jesus is saying, how many times has the presence of God been with you? How many times has he drawn you under himself, and you wouldn't have anything to do with him? Verse 35. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. He looks at them and they look at him and they're saying, hey, depart from hence or Herod's going to kill you. You know what he says? Tell Herod to bring all he's got because I ain't scared. I know that's not what the text says, but in our vernacular, that would be what it is. I'm not scared. What did, what did Jesus realize? I'm on a mission from God, and no one's going to stop me from completing that mission. Well, I'm on a mission from God. Some people did not like who Jesus was. Herod was a ruthless man. He was capable of doing evil things. He beheaded John the Baptist. But Jesus would continue doing the mission that he was called to do. Listen, in this world, we're going to meet lots of crafty people, lots of people who don't want us to continue doing what we're doing, but forget about them and put our eyes upon Jesus because he is the one we're working for. I'm not working for anybody on this earth. I'm working for my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to do everything in my power, everything that I know how to get the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm going to do everything to fulfill the mission that he has put me on. Listen, the Pharisees are using a scare tactic to try to get Jesus to leave, but little did they know it's not going to work. Don't let some people scare you. Don't be scared of what man can do unto you. The worst thing that any man can do unto me is send me on to heaven. Oh, my goodness, what a, what a crying shame. That is the worst anybody can do for me. What we need to have our focus on today is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's my audience. He's the one that I work for. He's the one that I'm striving for. He's the one that I'm contending for. I'm striving because he saved me. Amen. Man, I need to work for him. Uh, don't be scared by the foxes of the world. Listen, Jesus knows his time is limited, and he is saying, Herod's not going to shorten my life any. Jesus gave his life. No one took it. Amen? Jesus gave and laid down his life. And what does verse 22 says? He's heading towards Jerusalem. Jesus knows his time is ending. And he's speaking of the resurrection in our text. He's saying, listen, I'm going to come and I'm going to keep doing this until I'm 
perfected. And then he says, you're not going to see me to the people right there talking to him until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. You know when that time was? When he was starting to ride in town on the donkey. What did they do? Laid palm branches in front of him. Took their coats off and laid them in front of him. And they cried, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then only a week later, those same folks were turned against Christ. Crucified, crucified, crucified. And then you get over to Acts chapter 1. And, and Jesus gave them a command that says, hey, you need to wait until the Holy Spirit. And, and he, he gives them the promise, hey, go to, go to Jerusalem and wait. And then when you go to Acts chapter 1, you find out of all the people that was acquainted with Jesus, only 120 people showed up. Only 120 people showed up. A lot of people heard about Jesus, but there weren't many that decided to follow him. The word O in verse 34 expresses strong emotion. He looks at this city and he says, you used to be such a great city, but now you are one that kills the prophet and you will kill the Son of God. John Phillips tells about the destruction of Jerusalem. It was to be one of the most terrible events of history. When it was over the walls, the gates, and everything else would be reduced to rubble. The temple would be wrapped in flames. Corpse would be strewn, uh, strewn far and wide. And the Romans would be so infuriated by the strength and stubbornness of the siege that they would wreak fearful vengeance on those who were still alive. Rod Mattoon describes even further destruction of the temple. Jesus is saying, your city is going to lie in destruction. And it did, 70 A.D. It came to destruction. Rome destroyed Jerusalem, all because of what they did to Jesus and the prophets. They rejection. He says the siege of Jerusalem was a bloodbath of destruction and desolation. The Jews were celebrating Passover. The Romans surrounded the city so that no one could get out at all. This army, under the command of General Titus, attacked Jerusalem. The defenses of the city and the temple were phenomenal. The walls were five stories high and very thick. And General Titus believed Rome could not conquer Jerusalem unless God gave it to him. And we all read that Jesus said, Jerusalem, you're going to lie in desolation. God delivered the city into the hands. The Jewish historian Josephus revealed this. He said the people... Depending upon uh, defending Jerusalem, had access to unlimited water supplies and abundant grain reserves within the city. Yet these advantages did not spare the Jews or the temple from God's hand of chastisement and the fulfillment of Jesus' words. He goes on to say the, the siege of Jerusalem was a catastrophe. And beyond imagination, in five months, 1.2 million Jews died, 600,000 people starved to death in the streets, bodies were thrown over the walls at a span of 4,000 per day. The sickening stench of death and hordes of annoying flies were unbearable. The Jewish historian Josephus records again that cannibalism among the starving and panicking. Three million people who were crammed within the walls had quickly de depleted their food resources. It's interesting to note that Titus ordered, though, in the, the destruction of Jerusalem, he said, do not destroy the temple. But everybody got into the temple. And there, there was a battle that ensued there, ensued the, the temple, and they began to destroy the temple. It's been said that General uh, Josephus said he saw General Titus beating back his soldiers with his own sword. But when he realized that the Holy of Holies had been burned, he cried these words, As God is my witness, this was not done by my order. 
General Titus did everything he could to protect the temple of God. But everything was brought to desolation. Because Jerusalem had become a place that lived for itself and lived for the world and not for Jesus Christ. These Roman soldiers and General Titus were being used of God to fulfill two key prophecies in Scriptures. From Daniel and from what Jesus said. Today, what can I take from this passage? First of all, answer this question, yes or no, in your own heart. Are you saved? I don't know you. I may know your name. I may know some things about you, but I don't know your heart. I know the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. So are you bearing the right kind of fruit that says, hey, I am a child of God? Are there the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, gentleness, temperance, meekness? Do you have all those, or do you have all the things that the world has? Do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior? If you don't, give Him your life today. Secondly, there will be people who claim to know the Lord who will not be in heaven because they never made it real in their life. Oh, you can, you can come to church, you can do all the good deeds, and you can do everything good that you want to do, but at the end of the day, our, good, our goodness is only as filthy rags. When we stand before Christ, we have to stand with the blood of Jesus Christ applied to us, or we're not getting in. If God judges the city of Jerusalem for what they've done and the wickedness that they did, then we know, must know that God will judge every other nation as well, that no other nation is exempt. And lastly, whatever decision you're going to make today, or make, do it today before it's too late. I don't know how much time we have on this earth. God could bless you with another 20, 30, 40 years. I, don't, I really don't know. My friend was probably late 40s. You know, you think of other people who even just passed away this week, even, even from the, the incident that happened at Daniel Boone the other day, Friday. You, you just never, never, never know when your time has come. But here's one thing I know, and I can speak for myself. If that time comes right now, and I drop dead of a heart attack right on this stage, I'm being in heaven. I'm going to be in heaven. Not for anything that I've done. I'm a wicked person. Sinful, sinful, sinful. I've done some things, man, it's embarrassing to talk about. It's embarrassing to think about. But God's forgiven. And God's made me a new creature, amen? And I've trusted in Jesus Christ to get me to heaven. Have you done the same? Let's pray. We'll have a time of invitation. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, right now, I pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can. Lord, I, only I can deliver the message. And Lord, the message over the last several weeks has been the message of salvation. Lord, I know in a crowd this size, it's quite possible that somebody doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. They have depended upon everything else in this world. Goodness, coming to church, being faithful to you. But Lord, they're just pretending. There's never been a time in their life when they said, Lord, I'm a sinner. My sin nailed you to that cross. And Lord, today I'm asking you to forgive me and apply the blood of Jesus Christ to my life. 
Lord, I pray that you would give strength and courage to those who may not know about their eternal destiny. Would you speak to hearts as only you can? Lord, whatever decision needs to be made, I pray that it would be made today. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to give you a time to respond to the message as God leads. As Brother Wayne sings, you stand and you respond how the Holy Spirit leads you this morning.